Charles Darwin's theory of natural selection states that the traits passed on are those with positive attributes for their environment. So what was Hollywood thinking when they adapted the Book of Exodus? Welcome to Unnatural Selection, a podcast about film adaptations of books, the weird decisions Hollywood makes, and what makes an adaptation good or faithful, or less commonly, good and faithful. As always, I'm your host, Emma Shannon. I use any pronouns. And today with me, we have Ariella. Hello. I'm Ariella, Ariella Shua. I use she, her pronouns. I am a friend of Emma's from way back in the day, the days starting in 2017 when we were in a stand-up <laughs> club together at Johns Hopkins University, esteemed place that it is. Neither of us are there any longer, but we did graduate, so that's that is not a tragic statement. Just one of we made aging. it. We made it out. <laughs> made it out all right. Uh, and today, for you listeners, uh, we are going to be talking about the Book of Exodus and its film adaptation, The Prince of Egypt. So there are a lot of different editions of Exodus, of the book of Exodus. There's a lot of different translations and different focuses depending on like different denominations of faith. So Ariella, uh, you found the version that we're talking about today that we read. Uh, so if you want to tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So the translation that we are working with today is the JPS 2006 translation, which was found on Safaria. Love Safaria, amazing resource for Judaic texts. And just to give a bit of background and a bit of a disclaimer, uh, this is our interpretation and just discussion about the text as we read it, the first 15 chapters of Exodus and uh, the movie itself, The Prince of Egypt. And this does not need to be a statement on any particular religious denomination's beliefs or thoughts or translations or commentaries. It's based on our own ideas and as well as some of mine just from my background of growing up in the Jewish community. Bit of conservative, a lot of orthodox, modern orthodox upbringing, things that I remember from growing up, things I've discussed with friends, and things I remember from the many, many times that I've learned the story and seen this movie. So just to add that as with every piece of Jewish literature or thought, there are two people discussing it and at least three opinions about it. And you should have your own opinions coming out of it too. And they can be completely different than ours. That is perfectly valid. And we will be, like you said, we will be handling the book of Exodus as a book, as a piece of text. Yes. Which gets us into the first part of this, which is are compared synopses. That sounds fun. Yeah. Gotta love a good synopsis. Book of Exodus summary, as the internet gives us as the first summary. In Exodus, we witness God beginning to fulfill his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Though the children of Israel are enslaved in a foreign land, God miraculously and dramatically delivered them to freedom. He then established Israel as a theocratic nation under his covenant with Moses on Mount Sinai. 
and then the synopsis of The Prince of Egypt, the 1998 animated musical from DreamWorks. In this animated retelling of the Book of Exodus, Egyptian Prince Moses, upon discovering his roots as a Jewish slave, embarks on a quest to free his people from bondage. When his plea is denied by his brother Ramses, the new pharaoh, a series of horrific plagues strike Egypt. Moses finally leaves the Israelites to, leads the Israelites to freedom by parting the Red Sea and drowning the Egyptian army. God then gives Moses the Ten Commandments, a list of rules for his people to live by. Yeah, that pretty much yeah. covers it. Prince of Egypt is a bit condensed of the story. Exodus continues on for another 30 chapters or so afterwards. But most of the exciting part, the part that people would remember, what's celebrated and remembered during the Jewish holiday of Passover, all of that is part of the Prince of Egypt adaptation. Yeah, the majority of the Prince of Egypt takes place in the first 15 chapters with a few things pulled in like little elements from chapters 16 through, I want to say, like, 25-ish? I read I read yeah. through chapter 30. Oh, good for you. Done a lot of Torah study this weekend. But, I'm doing my yeah, best. <laughs> there's a lot there to read. Um, and it takes, the Jews take a whole year to read through the whole thing, beginning with Genesis and ending with Deuteronomy. Um but and as like a full disclaimer to our listeners, I did not grow up religious. So this is genuinely my first experience reading a religious text. It was cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's very different than how a story or narrative would be written today or how a history would be written today as well. Um, I'm kind of curious. What, how did you find just reading through this translation? Like, was it was it interesting? Like, I've grown up knowing the story. I knew what was coming. Um, it but how really was it for you was. going through it the first time? So I had a general, like, idea of what was going to happen because I have seen the movie. Love the Prince of Egypt. Great movie. Um, it was an easier and faster read than I was expecting it to be. Mm-hmm. Were you expecting kind of, like, old-timey, like, thou art and, like smote and smited and words of that nature not not necessarily I think I was just expecting it to be in like a lot more detail Mm -hmm. it's almost more like a series of vignettes than like a body of text it's like it's almost like scenes moving from scene to scene with like not as many transitions or like deep dives into like yep. details as I thought it might be. Yep. Um, and that's that's something that you'll find across a lot of the biblical texts in the Torah, which is the five books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, um, and then later texts in the in the Pentateuch and the Tanakh, the rest of the Jewish canon. That a lot of a lot of the time the writing is shifting very abruptly from perhaps it's lists of things, names or numbers, things being counted into suddenly we're in a story or a dialogue or conversation or a miracle is happening. And sometimes the setting is changing rapidly. Sometimes things are being repeated. I can remember growing up that something we were taught in my day school, which was a modern Orthodox Jewish day school. We studied Judaics and the Torah in depth every day. 
one of the things that was constantly taught was the phrase in Nukdamu Milchar Torah, which means there is there's no beginning and ending in the Torah. There's things can go out of order, things can be moved around. And the idea learning it from a religious perspective is that that's often done to make a point, like to emphasize this conversation is really important or to bring it back again because you're supposed to be remembering something that might have been said earlier or later. So that jumpy narrative is part of it. That's interesting that you say that because I was noticing that watching the movie earlier, actually, there is a, a section later on in the movie, let's jump in a little head here. Sure. Where uh, Moses's wife tells him that you're just one man when he's trying to take on this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember exactly which chapter it is. I think it's chapter 17. It's somewhere after the bulk of the story. And it's not Zipporah who says it in Exodus, but it's her father. It's Jethro who says it. And that's sort of what leads into the creation of like establishing more priests. Like Moses, you're not, you're, you're just one man. You can't lead everyone on your own and expect Mm -hmm. to do that. And I thought it was interesting that they took that from a later on in Exodus and sort of brought it that same concept in earlier. And I think that kind of ties in with what you were just saying. It gets the point across and emphasizes it. Like trying to put it where it would make the biggest impact rather than where it might have taken place in the actual like scene by scene narrative of this moment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then that does get us into, uh, before we start talking about the differences between the two, Ariella, would you like to summarize the book for us real quick? Sure. So the text in Exodus, um, we start off with a list of names, the names of all of the children of Jacob. Um, Mm. You might be familiar if you know the story of Joseph or the play, Joseph and Technicolor Dreamcoat. And the book of Genesis ends with Joseph and the early Israelites, the children of Jacob, all ending up in the land of Egypt. All the members of that generation die out. They went from being a small but well-liked, well-respected tribe in Egypt to increasingly multiplying, getting too big, and scaring the new pharaoh. New pharaoh is afraid that the early Israelites will pose a threat, so decides to enslave them. And in this enslavement, the Israelites continue growing stronger. Uh, There are more of them, but they're still stuck in slavery. Pharaoh wants to kill all the baby boys to prevent this. One baby boy is saved by his mother, winds up being adopted by the Pharaoh's daughter. That boy grows up to be Moses. He winds up discovering his identity, leaving the Egyptians where he was raised, also leaving behind the slaves that he was technically a part of, um, is in the land of Midian for a while, gets married, comes back at the direction of God, who tells him to tell Pharaoh to let the slaves go. Pharaoh says no. They go back and forth about this many, many times, over the course of which 10 plagues are sent by God to strike the Egyptians. After the 10th plague, Pharaoh says, all right, it's enough is enough, you all can leave. And Moses leads the Israelites out of Egypt and into the desert, where they eventually receive the Ten Commandments and the Torah. And that's where that covers pretty much 
the plot of both the text and of the Prince of Egypt movie. In Exodus, the story continues on, and then over the course of the next four books of the Torah, the story continues until eventually the Jews reach the promised land of Canaan, today the general location of Israel. Hell yeah. So there were obviously like a lot of artistic liberties taken in the making of this movie, but from moment one, when the film starts, it actually opens with a disclaimer, Uh, or not necessarily a disclaimer, but like a a heads up, I guess, or like a, hey, this is what's going on. Just some context setting for everyone. Yeah, some context setting. Uh, The film opens with the motion picture you were about to see is an adaptation of the Exodus story. While artistic and historical license has been taken, we believe that this film is true to the essence, values, and integrity of a story that is a cornerstone of faith for millions of people worldwide. The biblical story of Moses can be found in the book of Exodus. They let you know what you're about to get into. Um, It's a gorgeous movie. It is beautiful. The animation. Cannot believe it's from 1998. It's, It's stunning today. Holds up. The one thing that makes me like, yeah, this is from 1998, is that there is an almost like shakier grainy quality to it that makes me Mm -hmm. forget it's animated sometimes when you're seeing the landscapes it looks like it's hand filmed on an old camera in sections yeah kind of does um like the big sweeping shots of the desert yeah feel you can feel the heat you can just feel like the emptiness all around you like there is no lack of effort and passion and beauty put into this movie Mm mm-hmm Listeners, if you haven't seen it, which I'm, I will be surprised if you haven't, or if you haven't at least listened to this month's Once Miss Wonders episode on the Patreon, where they do also cover the Prince of Egypt this month, tune in, join the Patreon, Moonshot Network, let's go. A uh, little plug there. Gotta love the plug. Um, but yeah, just go watch it. It uh, was DreamWorks' debut film. Oh, really? And did not it know was that. the first project they ever started working on. Uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg left Disney and was like, this is what I want to do. This is what I've been telling Disney that I want to do for the last four years. Wow. Let's fucking go. Which I knew about that, but I found an article from around when the movie was coming out. I can't find the exact date because of how it's archived on the Wayback Machine, <laughs> but I have it. And I think what really summarizes how they approached this is Katzenberg is quoted as saying, my dream was to go back and take the technique of animation and tell a very different kind of story. Now, 60 or 70 years later, when you say animation, it means a fairy tale cartoon for toddlers. Animation isn't a technique. It's a genre. That vision has been passed on from generation to generation. It's so strong. But animation to me is a technique. And I want to tell a bigger story. Mm-hmm. And you you can tell that that's what they're doing. They are. This is not like a kid's movie or like a kid's version right. of the book of Exodus. Like it is the story in all its brutality as well. Yeah. yeah. I, I remember um, I first saw this movie when I was seven years old between going to Jewish day school, Jewish sleepaway camp, 
living in a Jewish household, somehow the first place I saw it was the dentist's office. <laughs> but there, and I knew the story because the holiday Passover, you the tradition is to tell the story of the 10 plagues and the exodus out of Egypt. But the way that the Prince of Egypt depicts it, not shying away from the details of what's happening in the plagues of what slavery really looks like, and especially the scene of how the Pharaoh had commanded to get rid of the baby boys by throwing them in the river. The movie does depicts that by showing it through a hieroglyphics dream scene that Moses is having right after he discovers that this has been happening. And that's the reason that he is now living in the palace. That scene terrified me. I never rewatched the full movie after that. I would always leave the room when that scene came on. And yesterday was the first time I've rewatched the entire movie uh, since about 15 years ago. So thank you for that. I made it through this time. <laughs> I can't remember the last time I'd watched it because there were definitely things like that that I've forgotten about. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the movie also does a good line of like, it knows when to show the brutality and the violence and the harsh scenarios and when to cut away. Yeah. And like when to use the animation to make it like, I'm trying to figure out like the right word for this, but it. It kind of like can hint at things without necessarily. Like you're not seeing blood and gore, but you're seeing. Yeah. You're seeing death, you're seeing destruction, you're seeing people beaten down. And it's very clear no matter how old you are, but it's not necessarily, it's not like, this isn't Game of Thrones happening here. It's in a way that's like, that I guess earns a P, I'm guessing a PG rating, which is impressive to like manage to hit both of those at once. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, even if it hadn't had a PG rating, it, it makes sure never to step into the lines of like, the like commodifying the violence like the way sometimes Mm -hmm. things will step too far into like almost torture porn territory that's not the right word but it's something like that here it feels like any time that you're seeing violence or oppression it is very very purposeful and yes it's for the audience to be understanding that point it's It's not not for shock value at any point right while still making it clear that like hey this is what is happening here mm-hmm. and that is that is how the movie opens the movie opens a little bit into the the book of exodus itself and it does condense certain things um has to. Space to it has to it has to no condense one, certain things no one is interested in the lists of the names and the genealogies <laughs> it is it is not the part that anyone is talking about when they're remembering the story, even though the biblical account, the book of Exodus does start just with a list of names and it is some good scene setting, but for the movie, it's not necessary. And there's a few other um, just like rules, some rules that are later the basis of the Passover holiday, but it's not, it's given a few lines in the movie while it's given almost a full chapter of the text. The, yeah. the movie really does focus on the narrative and on the characters rather than bringing in all the extra scene setting and commandments that 
are naturally a part of the religious story. And it, it's interesting, like it does take a lot of artistic liberties and how it changes like the characters or creates this relationship between Ramses and Moses. But it's, it is one of those adaptations where even reading the source material, I watch the movie and I go, this makes sense. Like yes. there's no real question Absolutely. to why they did it. Like Absolutely. they are, they've created this sibling relationship because they want the mm. characters to be the driving force in a lot of Exodus. The driving force is God and being like, you have to do this. I'm going to, the line that gets repeated is I'm going to harden the Pharaoh's heart. Like I'm going to make yep. him say no and you have to keep pushing. Whereas yep. instead of doing that, the movie adaptation makes it the Pharaoh's heart has been hardened by this relationship with Moses being so shattered. Yes. Yes. It's, I want the thing that stands out the most about the Prince of Egypt is that relationship between Moses and Ramses, and it's entirely missing from the text. And um, in, in studying the Torah from the Jewish perspective, it's very common to look at biblical commentaries, look at what, we, what is called the Midrash, which is essentially additional stories that kind of build out the canon. They're not codified in the text itself, but everyone knows them as just things you grow up with, like extra extra details about the characters. And so I checked with a friend who's getting a PhD in Near Eastern Studies. I checked with a friend in rabbinical school, like, is there any sort of Midrash or commentary on Moses and the Pharaoh? being friends or being brothers and they said no and that's what I remember too like I never learned about any additional details of them having a relationship and that's really what the backbone of the Prince of Egypt movie is about is that Ramses as the pharaoh has this inferiority complex both that he's not going to live up to his father the former pharaoh Seti and also that Moses has always outshone him and never gotten in trouble and he's always had the burden on his back for everything it's entirely invented for the movie and it's fantastic it's it i don't want to say so like well <laughs> it works so it well I, I, it, I, like i don't want to say i wish it was in the the torah version but like would be cool if we had a few lines in there about that <laughs> like i'd be down to see when they reunited what was it like because it's so every scene between them is so emotionally charged in the movie in the book in the book, in the Torah, they act like complete strangers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it makes the core conflict not just a religious conflict. It makes the core mm -hmm. conflict an interpersonal conflict of, like, broken sibling relationship. You've been raised to be like this. You found out your whole life is a lie because, like, in, like, in, the, in the book of Exodus, Moses, at least from like my understanding reading it, Moses knows his whole life that he is Hebrew, being raised yeah. in the palace. And it never says he has like this moment of discovery, whereas that's such an emotional driving turning point in the movie. It's very much like in history and in religious texts, there's not always a why now, mm -hmm. but in a movie you need that why is this happening why do we have to tell this story now why are these characters making this decision at this exact time and this adaptation gives you that it, it gives you 
Moses realizes that he's part of this community. He realizes that his life is a lie that gives him more of a reason to act on things. It gives him more of a reason to question Ramses. It gives him a reason to kill the slave driver who is hurting other Hebrew people instead of it being like, this is a thing that Moses did and got caught doing. Time to dip. Yeah, and in Exodus, it really is portrayed as he doesn't want to get in trouble. So he's like, all right, got to peace out of here. I'm going to have my Hakuna Matata moment because uh, I don't I... want to be punished for it. But I am going to be honest. I genuinely laughed reading that section because it's like, <laughs> and he, like, nobody saw he buried the body. The next day, someone is like, oh, you're going to kill me too? Yeah. And he goes, whoops, yeah, people he's... saw and just dips. He's being haunted by other by other Hebrews, by other slaves. It's not even the Egyptians who are important and have an mm-hmm. actual have power to get him in trouble for this. It's other slaves who saw him. And he's like, that's too much. I have to get out of here. Whereas in the movie, even if he hadn't killed anyone by mistake, it seems like he would have he would have needed to run. He would have needed to leave because he is just so distraught over this identity that he can't face it. And that identity crisis is just not present in the text at all. Yeah. Also, just like a little detail that I thought was kind of funny reading through. Yeah. In the source material, Moses and the Pharaoh aren't brothers or like adopted brothers. They're cousins. It was the previous Pharaoh's sister who raised Moses. So her name, her name in the Hebrew is just Bat Paro, which means the daughter of Pharaoh is the one who who took and raised him. And we also, we don't get names for the Pharaohs here. It's referred to as Yeah, I'm just assuming that as the daughter of Pharaoh, I was assuming that in like a a birth daughter, not as a daughter-in-law kind of deal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I guess that could be, yeah. And then, so then... You're saying like the the Pharaoh who later is the one that Moses comes back to is the sister of the one who raised him, is the brother of the one who raised him. No, um, I was, oh yeah. It's not really, it's not really, it's vague. It's It's vague. vague. It's vague. And there's different ways to read it, especially because there aren't names attached. Like we don't necessarily know Mm -hmm. Bapara, like who, which Pharaoh's daughter she is. But in the movie, the family tree is simplified. They all have names, and she is pretty clearly Seti's wife, the pharaoh, Mm -hmm. Ramses' father. Yeah, they make make it a more direct family. Yeah, yeah. Which is fine. I didn't feel like that really changed in any way. Her role in the text is limited only to rescuing Moses when he is sent in a basket down the Nile, she finds him, she fetches him, she realizes he is a Hebrew, but decides to raise him anyway in the mm-hmm. movie. She is kind of shown as one of the Egyptians who is more compassionate and sympathetic. Um, like when we have, there's a whole entirely invented scene in the movie where Sephora, who later becomes Moses' wife, is 
brought as a gift for Ramses and then given as a gift to Moses and he humiliates her in front of a whole crowd and you he then makes eye contact with his mother and she is just disappointed in him and that makes him start thinking twice about his actions kind of shows that yeah. she she has more empathy than the other Egyptians in this portrayal the the adaptation highlights a lot of the women in the story yes more and gives them more agency as characters both yeah. like Tipora also Tipora is yeah. barely in the t- she has one strange little tangent story that the movie skips because it's not really related to the exodus narrative but in the mm-hmm. movie she is alongside Moses throughout almost almost every scene after they get married where she is helping lead the people with him she's with him when it comes to the plagues she barely gets more than a couple mentions in the actual text though mm-hmm. and it, it comes off a little bit in the text and like sign of the times as well you know that it, um oh yeah it's like jethro gives his daughter to moses whereas like in the mm-hmm. the movie like you we actually get to see like through a very cute montage them build their relationship and come to this decision yeah and she went from hating him because she was originally brought to him as as the concubine in the movie and mm-hmm. escaped and he did let her escape, but it was fully her who got out and they came to know each other and love each other and that it is one of it's one of the best scenes in the movie. It's one of the best songs in the movie as well, through Heaven's Eyes, just about appreciating life and family. And we see that through the relationship they build together. Yeah. They do have yeah, children in the text and they don't in the movie, which is interesting. To be fair, Moses is also like 83 when most of the text is going yes. on, and they definitely did not age him up enough in the movie. <laughs> yes, he is. This dude old. He's maybe 35 in the movie, it looks like. They kind of all stop yeah. aging after a while because Moses goes off, he has his like his Simba in the woods moment where he has his Akuna Matata montage, he grows out facial hair, he comes back. But everyone else looks exactly the same when he comes back to Egypt. Like, he is the only one who... He and Ramses, I would say, um, yeah. both have aged and look different. But Miriam and Aaron, his Moses' siblings, who we'd met previously, they look exactly the same. Although their I behavior... I would love to talk changed. about Aaron. <laughs> yes. Okay, great. Because I also that is like about him. The hugest change other than Ramses, I want to say. Yes. Is that agreed. essentially... Moses is terrible at public speaking Mm -hmm. and God is like you have a brother your brother is good at public speaking I will tell you what to say you will tell your brother what to say and this will be fine and Aaron's like there and part of the conversation the whole time whereas in the movie he's very much like trying to lay low trying to like make himself as unnoticeable and like with the flow as possible to not receive like even shittier Mm -hmm. treatment than he is already receiving just by the way of existing yeah um aaron aaron yeah go ahead i i think it's interesting i think it's a it makes sense to put the central focus on moses for the movie to make it easier to just like follow like our concrete protagonist's 
but I'm kind of surprised that Aaron doesn't have more in the movie, especially because he is voiced by Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> he is voiced by Jeff Goldblum? I did not realize that. Yeah, who is wow. like such a high, like everyone in this movie is a really high grossing actor. It's an it's a stacked cast. Like just looking it's at the Wikipedia, cast. you will recognize every single name. But I did not realize that that, that, that was Jeff Goldblum, and yeah, now it completely Goldblum. makes sense. <laughs> but yeah, so that that does kind of explain why they do turn him into comic relief at certain points. But I think it is a bit to the detriment of his character because he is completely different, like you said. The first time we meet him in the movie, he is helping Sephora to escape, but then when Moses comes along, he is completely terrified of him. Moses still being the prince of Egypt at this point, he is just trying to lay low, doesn't want to be noticed, doesn't want to be punished. And then later when Moses comes back as the deliverer from God, Aaron is the first to doubt him and to say, like, you've just come to stir up more trouble for us. Why would we ever believe you? Whereas he is leading the people in the text. He is probably the one saying these things himself because Moses cannot. Yeah. And the movie skips that that entire bit about, about Moses' speech impediment, which comes up a number of times in the text. And that's actually one of the midrash, the stories that are not in the text itself, but that everyone just learns. My roommate and I were watching the movie and she said, oh, they're not doing the part where Moses burns his tongue. And that's a very commonly known midrash is that when Moses was a young child as the prince of Egypt, that Pharaoh's ministers put in front of him a bowl of gold and a bowl of coal. And the idea is that the Pharaoh's kid will always pick the gold, but Moses picked the coal and then put it in his mouth and burned his tongue. And that's why he wasn't good at speaking. And it's a neat little story that I'm, I, it's not in the text, but it's one that's pretty common. And they could have brought it into the movie, but they just kind of chose not to let Moses' insecurities revolve around his identity rather than anything physical. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it's a fun one. Another good one is that, um, Miriam and Moses and her mother as well, Yocheved, they were the midwives that were actually saving the babies and that they just have different names in the text when they first show up, but that we're taught it's actually them, which they don't bring into the movie. They just have them save Moses. Yeah, but they do kind of a... gloss over that there's like step one in the baby plan where they're just like, hey, midwives get rid of them when they come out yeah. and the midwives are like uh-oh they keep giving birth before we can get there can't yeah. throw the baby out which the is baby's just... already born before we get there <laughs> yeah which good for those, them those those hebrews they just give they're popping them out too quick for us like it's <laughs> it was a bad planning by pharaoh though because you're you really would expect the jewish midwives the hebrew midwives to be killing the children like You've got your own army. Take yeah. care of it yourself. And then and then he did. So I guess he figured it out. <laughs> and then he did. <laughs> yeah, the imagery and foreshadowing in this movie, especially like getting into the plagues. Mm-hmm. When like, like we can talk about the plagues as a whole in a second, but like sure. the, like the moment where Moses is basically begging Ramses 
to let them go not just because he wants to like follow the word of God and to let have his people freed, but because he knows what is coming next. Mm-hmm. He knows For that the, last the next plague, plague is going to... Yeah, yeah, he knows that if Ramses doesn't change his mind now, his son will will be killed. Mm-hmm. And it's this like very somber argument. They're in the dark. They are in front of the hieroglyph mural showing the babies being thrown to the alligators and standing yeah. in between the alligators under the babies holding the light is Ramsey's son. Yeah. And it's, Moses is really, he is trying, he is telling Ramses without saying to him that his son is going to be killed if this doesn't mm-hmm. happen. And Ramses just is, is refusing to hear it, is just unable to because he needs to best Moses over something. Mm -hmm. And this is another instance of repurposing a line from Exodus that uh, is one of the lines spoken by God, but Pharaoh, Ramses says it in almost like a dramatic irony moment. The line of every cry will be heard across Egypt tomorrow. That's not the exact line. I'm trying to find what it is. And it's a line that Ramses has in the movie. Yeah, it's a line Ramses has in the movie when he's implying, like, come tomorrow, like, you are going to regret this. We are going to deal with your people in this violent way. But we know that the cry heard across Egypt is going to be the Egyptians Mm -hmm. because... God is going to do it first. I'm looking for it also. I'm not seeing. I know. I know it is somewhere. I'm just yeah lost in commandments about found it. the leavened bread. You found it. It is in Exodus 11. Okay. It is, and there shall be a loud cry in all the land of Egypt, such as never has been or will ever be again. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize that Ramses has that in the movie. Mm-hmm. But he... What do you think the movie Ramses, in terms of his beliefs, are? Because in in the in Exodus, he, he asks... I counted four different times that he went to Moses and said, like, plead with your God and tell him to stop bringing these plagues upon us. But in the movie, I'm not really sensing that he believes in any sort of divine power, whether that's the Hebrew God, whether that's his own ministers, he kind of doesn't view them with any respect at all. What do you think he thinks these plagues really are? I think he leans towards the Egyptian gods, but what really drives Ramses is almost how he's like deified his own father. Mm-hmm. And how he has to follow because, grow because essentially mm-hmm. like, the pharaoh was a god figure to be worshipped, and if you have grown up worshiping your father as this god figure, you have become it. I yeah. think it would make sense for that to still be like what Ramses focuses on, especially since he's so terrified of disappointing him and ruining be- being that weak link in the chain, as he says. Yeah. That's true. And he does often refer to himself as 
what is it, the morning and evening star. Um, yeah. Like viewing himself in that divine way. Yeah. So I think having been an Egyptian mythology kid. Of course. As a child. <laughs> from that perspective, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense the way like Ramses perceives his role and his father's role. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it's interesting that Ramses in the movie like doesn't plead with Moses about the God at all. Like, yeah, I can't tell it, if it's because he doesn't believe that it's Moses that's doing it or because he doesn't want to believe that that's what it's coming from. Mm-hmm. You think he was just, he may have been so unable to see it because of his anger towards Moses that he was just allowing it in his mind to just be like a series of wild coincidences one after another or yeah. him like being tricked somehow yeah I think they don't do it directly on stage but I think you see like a moment kind of in the background where he realizes that his magicians and priests are just doing magic tricks yeah like you see him walk back to where they're like prepping a bunch of things and just knock it all over yes he does in the in the middle of the song about the plagues he yeah right he like he realizes that they cannot do anything to fully replicate this they might have been able to with the first couple plagues and that's true in the text as well that they are able to mimic some of the miracles but at a certain point, it's just, it's the divine intervention is too much and it's not within a magician's power anymore. Mm-hmm. Which is why, which is why I'm not so, I think Ramses might see himself and his family as being divine, but not so much the Egyptian religion of the ministers that serve him. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. It's interesting because I think it, the movie does do a good job of like it makes more sense for Ramses to keep doubling down I feel like than just because the difference is in Exodus Ramsey keeps going back, uh, the Pharaoh keeps going back on his word yeah is what keeps the, happening he keeps going all right ask- your people can leave JK yeah. your people can yeah. leave <laughs> JK whereas like in the film steadfast the entire time is like not giving Mm -hmm. in yeah he's got more of a backbone in the movie he's fully just not willing at all until the end and then immediately after they leave he chases after them with his full army but the Mm -hmm. ask is also different in the text where god tells moses say say that you just you all want to go worship me like basically like blame it like blame it on god kind of say that you want to go do some sacrifices like oh that's what our god needs we have to go to the desert for three days but like we'll be back like you'll see us again and ramses isn't buying it because he knows that when they leave they're not coming back so he you see him kind of making concessions like after a few plagues he'll say okay you can go but only the men can go or a few plagues later you can go, but not your livestock. You have to leave all your belongings and cattle behind. And it's not until the last one that he says, okay, everyone can go. But the movie mm-hmm. chooses to simplify that just to the classic, let my people go. To which yeah. he, of course, is going to say no. Right. And it's also, it's very powerful. Especially yes. with, like, what the movie is focusing on. 
Yeah. So it makes sense. Um, the plague's number is very cool. And also, the last plague is so haunting. Like, to see an animated film that is silent for multiple minutes, mm-hmm. that has been full of, like, music and noise and singing, just go quiet other than the simplest sound effects and the the little gasps of air is haunting yeah Yeah. and that's that's one of the places where we were saying before about how they're showing just enough of they're not being violent they're not being extra gory but they're they're showing the angel of death kind of coming in and taking people's breath away and then a light will go out or you'll hear like a dish shatter and you know that this means that someone has just lost their life to this plague. It is it is haunting. It's And I, I think it's a place where the medium shines as well. The fact that it's mm-hmm. an adaptation, it really gets to affect you in that way because a lot of the way Exodus is written is very matter of fact, beat to beat to beat. Yeah. So getting to have that moment of like, breath and emotion and like horror as you're watching this happen Mm -hmm. especially contrasted with we've got the previous nine plagues which are kind of part of this frenzied song about all the destruction that's raining on egypt and in in the text they're really separated out like one by one by one in the movie you you see like a montage of moments of First there's frogs, then there's lice, then there's some more frogs, then the cattle are dying. It's it's very rapid fire back and forth. But then darkness has a few minutes. Ramses and Moses have their last, one of their last conversations. And then the death of the firstborn has several minutes as well. Mm-hmm. I do want to mention with the plagues that they are, they're known as the 10 plagues, classic 10. But while watching the movie, I felt like there was one missing and I checked in the text and I was seeing the same thing. My roommate and I were both like, it feels like we're missing one. So we looked on a different translation and we found that the fourth plague in Hebrew is the word Arov in the text and in the movie, they show swarms of insects for it. But a very, another common translation is that of wild animals. And that's what I remember learning growing Mm -hmm. up, that it's like, we would have like finger puppets of all the plagues, which is a pretty dark thing to have puppets for actually yeah it's every (laughs) every every kid's like passover kit that you take out during the seder which is a big the cell feast and you're telling the story on passover everyone's got a little puppet kit and there's usually like a lion or a tiger for that plague but we're not seeing any lions or tigers in this movie which a friend pointed out to me that's because we don't know what if it's wild beasts is the translation what wild beasts would be there Probably not lions and tigers. So the movie chose to take the simpler route of just translating that as insects. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Because I actually, I have a friend who sent me a photo like a couple days ago of Passover finger puppets that she found. Yeah, it works Um, well because 10 plagues, 10 fingers. Yeah, and it it does have like a little lion for wild animals. Yeah, that's... Most people that I asked just did like a little informal poll. I would say about two thirds of the 15 or so people I asked said they learned it as wild animals, but a few did say they had learned it as insects. 
I like wild animals better because we've got a couple of lakes with insects. We've got locusts. We've got yeah, because there's like, lice as well. There's locusts yeah. and lice and also other insects. I think at some point. Well, the frogs kind of are like insectian vibe. I want to ask you about the frogs. I'm sure because you do. I have read about the big frog debate. I the it's which is so funny to me that that's. Where have you read? What have you read about the big frog debate? Do you want to give some context on the big frog debate? Um, or I know about the big to? frog date first because one of my friends told me about it. The same one who sent me the Passover finger puppets. All right. Um, and I was like, "You gotta be shitting me!" <laughs> so I googled it. There like are academic papers of people talking about the big frog debate, but basically yeah. there are like some people that argue in the translation there was no. I think it was like either there's no word for frogs plural or it was like the singular frog and there is a word for frogs plural and it was not the same word. I yeah, that's So there's an argument that it was just like one big frog terrorizing <laughs> Egypt. <laughs> Which is kind of hysterical just to think about how that would happen. Like how big would a frog have to be to be terrorizing a whole country at once? I want to know. <laughs> I want to know. I want to see the version of this adaptation where it's one big frog. <laughs> they, I have to know. Yeah, because they they did not seem to go with that translation. We had we've got a lot of little frogs. Um, so many but, little frogs, which I do also love a frog. Yeah, like if you had to pick one of the ten plagues to to go through for a few days, I think for me it would probably be frogs. Yeah, I think I'd be pretty okay with that. I like frogs. I did. You do. I did spend a good amount of the pandemic. Look- I've taken you to go look. We've for frogs gone. In the woods. We've we've gone looking for frogs. Last time I saw you, we went looking for frogs. Yeah. So we found obviously we found a couple small ones rather than a million small ones or one or one big one. one. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know the the linguistics enough, but looking at the word svardaim, which is the Hebrew word. I know, at least in modern Hebrew, Svardea is both singular and Svardaim is plural. So to me, that seems like it should correctly be translated as plural. But there are enough people who have written about the big frog that it is like a valid theory. And it's a, va- it's a way to look at it. It's people people out there fully on board with the big frog. There, there is um, a not valid way of looking at it, which I saw circulating somewhere on Twitter of Svardea frog sounds similar to Svarad, which is, I don't remember if it translates to Spanish or French, and that the Spanish were terrorizing the Egyptians, which does not seem to. It's, it is not the right translation. They're, they're already a, being. Hold on. Yeah, that doesn't. Yeah. It's a different word. It's not. Timelines does not match up at all. Um, but I guess it sounds somewhat similar. Yeah. Okay, I'm glad. I did want to ask just because i think it is interesting as a concept like the fact that that exists as a debate oh yeah the concept of a big frog debate yeah it is it is something that is taught and i love that it made its way over to you a admirer of frogs i love a good frog yeah i love a good frog who wouldn't except for the egyptians in this play (laughs) um i'm trying to think what other the, there was only one change that, like, took me out of it. What was that? That I had to, like, go back to Exodus and be like, I, did I misread something? What the, change the is that? The fucking 
the fire tornado that God sends to stall the Egyptians while the Red Sea oh, is yeah. parting. Oh, yeah. But I think that is in there. I went back and it, it, at least in the translation you sent me, it was not a fire tornado. It was just that uh, God like locked the wheels of the chariots. Mm-hmm. I think they certainly were doing that for the dramatic effect. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, and locking the wheels of the chariots is definitely less visual than... Oh, yeah, it's not especially interesting. But I, I do see... Um, what chapter is this? Chapter 14, uh, verse 24, that we have God looked down on the Egyptian army from a pillar of fire and cloud. But that, but that, yeah, that could be different because in the text it sounds like that's kind of God looking from this, like wherever God is looking from. Whereas in the movie mm-hmm. they're like, no, this is the pillar of God, the fire, and they <laughs> literally cannot move past it because God is using nature to block them from going forward. And yeah. God does in in later sections of the Torah when the Israelites are just wandering the desert, which they do for many, 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 many chapters onward. Um, God does lead them with a cloud during the day or with flame at night. So it is, it might not have been in this specific passage, but the idea of God kind of representing his spirit by coming down in clouds and in fire is something that they took from later parts of the text too. Okay, sick. Yeah, and it looked real cool, so it was worth it. Yeah, it did look really cool. Yeah, they really blend like early CGI animation and traditional animation really well in the movie mm-hmm. in a way that does create like an other worldly like beyond effect a lot of the yeah. times. What do you, you know? What do you think of the way they depicted God in like the burning bush scene and that to me felt like felt accurate to the text in what God was saying. We've got the mention of taking off the shoes. It's a holy place. We have Moses sees the bush. He, from which God is, his spirit is kind of, that's like a symbol that God is here. And we have the deep booming voice of God. Um, The two of them are having a conversation. To me felt accurate to the way the text was trying to portray that exchange. It didn't go on nearly as long, which is fine. It didn't have to in the movie. Yeah. Um, and Moses, you can tell, was kind of having having this fear and having this awe and not understanding why it has to be him and God just giving giving him an explanation, but then also getting angry and being like, dude, what are you doing? Like, I'm God and I'm telling you, you have to do this. Get up and yeah, do one it. Yeah, <laughs> one of my notes says, God is not a patient man. No. Yeah, and I, I also wrote, like, um, God is angry here. Um, like, <laughs> you have to just go and do this. It's, it came through. God is never seen in a, in, in, there's no face for God in the movie. It's always either just the voice or natural elements like the bush or like the pillar of fire and smoke. But you can feel yeah, the emotions they use that lighting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really well. Yeah. And I, I think that was like a very good use of like the CGI blending as well. 
just sort of colors and light moving with this sort of echoey voice. Yeah. And it was neat that they, the burning bush, they kind of give it like this white ethereal flame. I've always pictured it as just like a regular fire, but I really liked how they did that to kind of show that it's immediately you're noticing something is off about this. There's something special about this. Yeah, it was really cool. You want to know one moment from the movie that did take me out of it a bit? Um, which yeah. is right in the beginning when we have, we've got that huge opening number of Deliver Us All the Slaves. We have Oprah Haza, Eurovision queen, playing Yocheved. She sends Moses down the river. But then we have the basket that Moses is in kind of has a huge adventure of its own where it's yeah. almost being eaten by crocodiles and then fishermen almost capture it and then it's bouncing between hippos and it, like what did they build it's such this a little rock scene with? it's so long it's such a long scene and Miriam's somehow following it all the way yes. down yes this where is this girl is running fast enough <laughs> to yeah, like she's... past crocodiles and hippos and fishing boats <laughs> and it's and it's deep enough to the palace for fishing boats but Miriam is also like a probably three foot two girl that's able to stand in water that's deep enough for a boat it's just it <laughs> to me the story was dramatic enough without needing Moses to go on a seafaring adventure when he's a little baby it it almost feels like because it's an earlier scene in the movie I wonder if they felt like they had to have something that felt more like a tr- like a traditional not like a traditional but like a more common like family movie moment uh-huh in the animation like some sort of like quirky follow around yeah like scene setup kind of deal or like oh look this baby's special mm-hmm. like look at how he survives everything yeah <laughs> yeah i've never been to church i know the baby's special <laughs> even <laughs> i know this kind of figured out he was the prince of egypt you didn't need mm-hmm. him to survive crocodiles to to get that part yeah 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 that was a lot i i think the rest of the movie really balances a lot better than that does yeah it's it's just it's very funny to see it because it it's so at odds with the rest of the movie i think like it, it yeah. there's just no consequences for moses there which is good because he's a little innocent baby but like later he's we have baby whoa guy but Moses and Ramses later, like when they're, they have their chariot racing and they destroy half of the temple that the slaves are building. But like we see, there's huge consequences and there's scenes after where it's being rebuilt and um, mm-hmm. that's Moses what in the raft is like <laughs> happening. That is like yeah. the inciting incident. It establishes the relationship, the characters, and gives us a problem that continues to be dealt with. Mm-hmm. And he, he's he's so arrogant in the early parts of the movie, Moses. Like he he cares he cares a lot about Ramses. He'll always come to his defense and say, like, no, it was my fault, he didn't start it. But he's also But he, he will continue to start it. <laughs> he'll continue to start it. He'll he'll be telling Ramses he's sorry as he's like pouring juice on top of the ministers. Like he's yeah. You can tell this guy does mm-hmm. not have anything to be concerned about. And he doesn't even see the slaves really, which I think he says later that he he didn't see them because he just wasn't paying attention. Yeah. 
spoiled rich kid. Mm-hmm. Gotta knock him down a few pegs. Yeah. And they did. It it feels like I'm still thinking about the the baby in the basket in the river. I know. It's a scene. It feels <laughs> like they just wanted to flex their animation skills. Uh, yeah. But I think it's a very it, cool animated scene for like traditional, like hand mm-hmm. more hand drawn animation. So I wonder if that is the kind of thing that they put in because this was DreamWorks's first project, because basically everyone on the team was people who had left working for Disney. Uh-huh. I, like I wonder their, if it their was skill. like Yeah, like a little bit of a fuck you. Mm-hmm. I think more effective is that towards the end, the splitting of the Red Sea where they're walking through and it's it's just visually stunning and really captures so the emotion good. too of like, it's, yeah, like people, you think about like, yeah, walking through this, this sea and seeing like fish and stuff, but also that you can feel the people are scared because they're, this is an insane phenomenon that they're literally walking through. And yeah. The scene isn't just focused on the beauty of it, but it's also focused on the way the people must have felt, which was nice. Yeah, they're scared. They're being followed. The mm-hmm. ocean is big and on the sides of them. Yeah, for all they know, they could drown in two seconds. Yeah. You all know what's cool is that um, at the end of um, of that scene, we've got in the movie they do a little bit before, they do a little after, we, we have Miriam leading a song. And in... In the text as well, Miriam and the women do lead a whole song, and the the version in the text is part of the Jewish prayers that are said every morning. But um, because one thing as I was thinking like was yeah, Prince of Egypt movie is a musical. Obviously, the text isn't, but like kind of is a little bit because we do have a song with the full lyrics there is a built song right in there. into it. Yeah, yeah, we've got a song, and a little bit of the song makes its way into the movie in Hebrew, which is cool. Nice. Yeah, yeah, I liked that as well. You could tell that they, like, like reading up on, like, the production of this, you can definitely tell that, like, they had consultants mm-hmm. and, like, religious experts and were trying to not, like, I, let me see if I can find it in that same article. The one about uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg. yeah. There we go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, here's another quote from Katzenberg, which is, it's a fantastic idea and a great story to tell, but let's be quite clear. It's not a fairy tale and it's not yours. And if you're going to do it, then understand that you're taking on a responsibility that is going to be unique and demanding and you are going to have to go very aggressively into the world. And that's that's him like talking about the weight of taking on the story. Yeah, and about like how to approach it. It's not a fairy tale. You are telling this story and uh dreamworks was concerned about both the historical and the theological accuracy mm-hmm. so on the team for the movie they had bible scholars christian jewish and muslim theologians and arab american leaders to help with the accuracy that is very cool they had like a, lot a of huge team that's great you can tell that they definitely had a few more christian theologians than like hebrew scholars Mm. but they still made like a massive effort they did and it's i I think at least can't speak to the to the other religious communities but at least within the jewish community it really is 
very well regarded and very beloved, at least in the different Jewish communities, the conservative and Orthodox communities that I've grown up around, that it's it's fun, but it's also telling the story in a way that is is accurate enough and the few the things that are different, it's not taking away from those core messages in any way. Exactly. If anything, it's it's emphasizing them. Mm-hmm. It really and, like, is. In a way where I think like I I don't want to say it's making it palatable to non-religious people, but I think it is approaching it in a way where like even if you are not religious, like it makes you get it mm-hmm. without feeling like you're being preached at. Yeah, it's, but it's, it makes sure you get it. Yeah, but it's not it's not suggesting like when we get to the, the movie ends on the Ten Commandments, but it's not like they're not then read out or anything. No one is being told to do anything beyond beyond like the very characters in each moment, even like the little things that later become the basis for the Passover holiday. It's never presented as like, and this is what everyone must do. It's presented as this is the life of these characters, of the Hebrews and of the Egyptians in this time. And we're just getting to witness their story. No one has to believe anything they don't want to. Something I did appreciate also was the appearance of the characters, that it they do look like they come from this Middle Eastern area, rather than a lot of other depictions where they don't necessarily take the care to to have the characters physically appear a certain way. And the voice actors are, as far as I can tell, are not necessarily, they're not all Jewish, they're not all Middle Eastern, which to, for me personally, I don't care. I think they did a fantastic job, but at least what you're seeing is characters that do look like they are Semitic characters from this time. Yeah, definitely. Especially because, like, that is a specific group that, like, historically, throughout Hollywood history, gets it really bad with white people playing Middle Eastern characters. Yeah. And... Which, which, like, is... It can be a bit tricky, like, even if you do Mm want to cast, like... Jewish people in an adaptation. Jewish people can be any race and can have any appearance. So, and like you said, like it's also part of the Christian story, part of Muslim story. Like people are interested in the story because it is, it may be about the ancient, what became the Jews, but it also is is an interesting story for a lot of different communities. But they clearly did try to depict who these people would have been. Yeah, exactly. They they do a they do a really good job. It's cool. Lots it's of curly cool hair. My roommate was like, Miriam's got her curly hair routine down, which is impressive for the heat <laughs> end. It is true. Her curls are just bouncing in this movie. No frizz at all. I'm mm-hmm. I am jealous. <laughs> I did think one of the ministers was like they looked very like tall, skinny, big nose. It was a little <laughs> it was a bit of a weird character to me. But um, the rest of them were fine. Yeah. Moses is attractive, too. That's why they couldn't (laughs) make him 83. That's why they couldn't make him 83. (laughs) Yeah, because we got to have um, people's sexiest man alive, Moses, instead. Yeah, exactly. 
it fits this version of the movie. I don't think anyone's complaining about it. Yeah. But yeah, I think you're you're right that the characters don't, for the most part, fall into stereotypes and caricatures, which is yeah. You see a lot of diversity in how all of the characters look, which is very cool because you mm-hmm. see a lot of people. Yeah. And there are so many individuals that you see like various close-ups on and like huge group shots. Mm-hmm. And they didn't just like copy and paste essentially a bunch of different people. Like they are all unique characters who have thought put into them. Yeah. And it's true across the the Egyptians and the Hebrews in the movie. Yeah. They are distinctive and you can you can tell like they're most of the Egyptians are dressed in like fancier garb or in white. Slaves are obviously more beaten down, but they're they do take care to give them different facial expressions, different hairstyles, sometimes different colors on their clothes. It's mm-hmm. I like I can't imagine how long it took to animate this movie. It's really a work of art. It really is. Gorgeous movie. If you're still listening to this and you haven't watched it, what the fuck are you doing? Go watch the movie. <laughs> Go watch it. It's an hour and Go a half. Go watch it. Like, you've got an hour and a half. You've been listening to this for almost an hour. Yeah. Come on. Might as well just go watch Come it. Come on. <laughs> Man, Moses sure does kill a guy. He he does do that. I I, can't I don't think remember he how it him. happens in the movie. Oh, until I watched it. it. Like I was gearing up to it. I was like, is Moses about to kill a guy? Yeah, Moses sure does kill a guy. <laughs> Yeah. In my notes, though, I wrote that he, at least how I saw it in the movie, was that he kind of did it accidentally. He just wanted to shove the guy off. And yeah. he wound up killing him by pushing him off. With the, Shoving him all the way off. All the way down. He really has issues with, like, spatial perception in this movie. Because he also yeah. destroys that whole temple earlier with Ramses. Yeah, they, they got rid of his speech issues and gave him spatial awareness problems. Yes. Exactly, exactly. Just emphasized a bit less than the speech ones. Mm-hmm. But he also, he then, he falls into the well, too. Like, he's just, he's not, yeah, he's not good he at does. controlling his limbs. No. No, he isn't. They, I, there's moments where, like, I forget, like, little things they added for, like, a little bit of levity and goofs, and I just mm-hmm. remembered that, like, Moses gets buried in the sand and Camel pulls him up and drags him to the water. Yeah. By the yeah. hair. A yeah. healthy snack. Speaking of high cheese boy, he just bit my ankle. Oh, hello, cat. Yeah. He that he that is one of the moments where he's like completely out of it because he's just had his entire life overthrown in the last two days. He just killed a guy. He's alone doesn't know anyone but then he literally falls into a loving family and a relationship by tumbling into that well and it leads to like i said what i think is one of the best songs it leads to one of the strongest relationships in the movie mm-hmm. so it's worth it and though they have a good they do a good job of like having these little funny moments and then bringing them back to the emotion later even yeah. like in um in the plague of darkness when Moses and Ramses are having this conversation that later becomes 
about well, the upcoming death of the firstborn, but Moses is first kind of like needling Ramses about like one of their mischievous escapades back in the day, and you can tell that he's still able to get Ramses pissed off at him. But also Ramses enjoys it, like they they have this brotherly relationship, and even with everything, it never fully went away. Yeah. Not to just say it's good again, but like it's good. <laughs> it's not it's just really it's really good. well done. Yeah. Um, is there I think those are the main things that I wanted to touch on. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on? Um, I'm just checking through. Yeah, no, I think we got most of it. It's just overall like made changes where they need to make they needed to make changes to serve a better story because that wasn't that the main goal of Exodus was not to write a narrative necessarily. Um, yeah. but to be imparting a message. And the Prince of Egypt is able to take that message, but also make it a really, really compelling story and have you feel the emotions of all of these different characters and get swept up in all of the animation and the music and just everything around it. And it's, I think, just phenomenally well done. It works as a kid, it works as an adult, and it holds up 25 years later. Mm-hmm. I remember it as a kid as a fun movie that I really liked and thought was cool songs and cool animations and cool story. And as an adult, mm -hmm. it's still a fun movie, but the parts that are more emotionally heavy hitting and like just a bigger appreciation for that and the animation. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it, it brings out different things depending on your age, but at the end of the day, those things are all good. Definitely. So we're getting close to our wrap-up, which means we're getting into my wrap-up questions for you. All right. Which, uh, first of which, is there anything you'd change if you got to, to in the adaptation? Is there anything, like, what would you adaptation. do? What's one thing that you would change in an adaptation of this? Um, a like new what, adaptation in, or in this version that we've got? In the version that we've got, is there anything where, like, you see it and you're like, mm, I'd fix that. <laughs> the character of Aaron he's he he doesn't need to be turned into the like the Luigi to Mo Moses's Mario here where he was just like foolish and not able to he's the second in command in the text and here that's really just not clear and I think the role he has is, is an important one like the doubtful Hebrews who did not trust that Moses would bring anything that is a valuable and accurate portrayal to have but it doesn't need to be Aaron and it could I think it would have brought a new dimension to Moses's character too if he had had Aaron by his side as well as Tifora in I think it would have been really compelling mm -hmm. as well because we see this conflict with him and his adoptive brother that he was raised yeah. with and this new bond that he has with his actual, like, birth brother. Mm -hmm. And I think that was point. a really compelling element that they could have included and really missed out on. Especially yeah. since it is such a huge part of the source material. Yeah. Yeah. A scene Big between agree. Ramses and Aaron would have been cool as well. Oh, yeah. Ooh, <laughs> that'd be cool. Also, give me the big frog cut. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> just just like even a deleted scene or something. How would they have? Yeah, give me the big frog, frog deleted scene. Yeah. <laughs> but then little frogs for the final cut. Mm-hmm. Just a save on the animation frog. budget by only animating one frog. Animate one little frog and then stretch it to fill the whole screen. <laughs> I like it. Now, now we're talking big books. <laughs> um, Sorry, uh, do you think this adaptation was faithful? And like, what would you give it on a scale of one to ten? And you can elaborate on why you're putting it where you're putting it. In terms of faithfulness? Yeah. Um, like, how faithful to the source material? How faithful? I would say probably an eight. Because it's not. It doesn't have everything. Um, there are, like we're saying before, there's there's things that aren't part of the narrative story, commandments or genealogy lists or just little tangent stories that don't really relate to the main Moses narrative uh, the, or the main Exodus narrative that are cut. So I can't say it's 100% faithful. And there's also the entire relationship of Ramses and Moses is the backbone of the movie and it's not present in the text at all. But in terms of the core messages that it's imparting and the big scenes that everyone remembers, which is Moses is in the Nile, the burning bush, the ten plagues, the Red Sea, all of that is there. And all of that, while it might not be letter to letter exactly the same, it's it's pretty much how I would have pictured it, give or take a couple things. Nice. Yeah, I'm, I was also thinking an eight. I'm with you on that. Nice. Shared brain. Shared um, brain. One brain cell is working <laughs> very hard. Yes. Um, and what do you think about the movie itself? Is it a good movie? Oh, yeah. I mean, One it's, to ten? One to ten, like, can I give it a ten? Is it, like, too much to give it a ten? It at least deserves I'll, nine. You, you give I, it a ten. I think it I think it deserves a 10 like it's it just it the music is great the animation is great it's it works today it kind of pleased everybody as far as I know I haven't heard of any serious controversies about the Prince of Egypt the way that there are with other stories with other adaptations of biblical stories and I think even if there were no text that it was based off of if this was just a fully original story it would still work on its own merit too because it's got classic themes of like thinking you're one thing and finding out you're another it's got the chosen one theme it's got brother versus brother it's got identity crisis it's got magic there's just a lot of really good elements here that would work for any story whether it's based off of an existing one or not yeah definitely yeah the fact that it holds up whether you have read the source material or not, whether you have any context going into it or not, it still holds up. Yeah. It's a good movie. And you don't need all that extra context to enjoy it. Like you could you could watch it without yeah. knowing a thing and you'd still be able to understand the story pretty much exactly as it's presented here. Definitely. Dang, we did it. We got a good, a fa- pretty faithful adaptation that's also a good movie. <laughs> yeah. Is that something Huge you get a lot in, in the podcast? No. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of times it's one or the other. This is very yeah. exciting. Well, it's 
it's a it's a good source material it's a good movie um it's not like most people aren't just gonna be like okay i'm gonna crack open exodus for my nightly reading today but a lot of it is because it's what thousands of years old like it's it's a different type of storytelling but ultimately yeah. the story that is wrapped in there underneath the stilted syntax and the translations and every translation is different but the story still resonates with people even if the exact wording in the religious text does not or does yeah. not as a narrative necessarily yeah and like like you were saying with how there's usually a lot of controversy surrounding adaptations of like religious stories everything when i was doing my my like pre-recording research to be like well can i find anything about the make like like the production process and like why things were happening everything was flooded by like articles that are like the prince of egypt still holds up 20 years later <laughs> this masterpiece why this is a great adaptation etc etc <laughs> yeah it's it it it's like we're saying go watch it if you haven't seen it you just need to go and watch it Go watch it if you haven't seen it. I'm I'm glad though that you did that research and you checked and people are like, yep, nope, nothing wrong here. We we still we're good. happy with Thrones of Egypt still. They did they did make a sequel to it, which is actually like a prequel, which is um oh, a right. different biblical story. It's about mm-hmm. it's the Joseph story. That one I do remember seeing in school, but I don't but it's not something that anyone ever talks about anymore. I don't think people we're so into that one. Yeah. Yeah, I remember seeing that when I was researching. Well, thank you for being on a natural selection, Ariella. Uh, yes. Do you have anything you'd like to plug? Any social media or like who, anything? Just whatever. Um, I'm I'm around. You can you can <laughs> find me on various social media platforms. I'm on Twitter, usually lurking, sometimes making some jokes at Ariella Shua, and you can find me on Venmo if you are just so inclined. Um, <laughs> and pretty much anywhere you look up my name, I'm the only one who has it, so you'll find me. And follow Emma, too, because lots of good stuff on all of all of Emma's platforms. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at EmmaDSCA. That's E-M-A-T-S-C-A. You can find the podcast at UnselectPod. Uh, you can also check out the network we're a part of, the Moonshot Network. Uh, we've got a website. We've got a Patreon. We do Twitch streams. I'm on another podcast, Dead Teen House Party. You can hear a bunch of hosts from Moonshot Things on a bunch of other Moonshot shows. You'll hear them on here. You'll hear me on them. Lots of places to hear your voice, it sounds like. Yeah, and April, we're doing a Patreon drive right now. This episode is going to come out uh, April 15th right after Passover. <laughs> Very timely. Uh, but we yes. are doing our Patreon drive this month, which means if you become a patron or raise your patron level on Patreon, we do a little, little shout out for you on the Twitter. We got a patron of the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also there's just a lot of cool stuff for you to check out. Ariella, since this episode does come out right after Passover, is there like, like not a, like, Happy Passover. Is there a thing you say during Passover? Yeah, you can say, yeah, so you would say um, Chag Kasher V'Sameach, which is essentially just like have a happy Passover. Um, well, hell so yeah. We wish that to all of you who are 
observing Passover and get your, I guess if you're hearing this after Passover, hope that you are now eating copious amounts of bread and other leavened materials. <laughs> but yeah, thank you for having me on here. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for being here. Uh, and last but not least, very importantly, as always, let us make your movie. But maybe not this one. I think this one, they did it. They did it. They They're good. good. We don't. Yeah. We don't have to make this one. You can keep your movie. This April, the Moonshot Podcast Network is doing something new, unparalleled, something nobody has done before. We're asking you for money. This month is the first ever Moonshot Patreon drive. Between April 1st and 30th, we're hoping to bring in 30 new and upgrading patrons to patreon.com slash moonshotnetwork. That's one per day. The money we make on Patreon is what helps our podcasters get things like new mics, show art, and music. It also helps us put on our bigger streaming events, advertise our shows, and think even bigger. If you know us, you know we like to think bigger. Join the Patreon in April and you'll get a bunch of Drive-exclusive new podcasts, including actual plays, improv comedy, and a roundtable show with some of the hosts of our book talk shows, like Three Little Words and Kahooligans. $5 Patreons get to join us for a game night on our Minecraft server on April 7th, where we take down the Ender Dragon together. You hate that guy, so do we. Help us kill him. You'll also get access to all of our usual monthly output, like Once Missed Wonders, early episodes of Champs in the Making, and more. So please join us or upgrade with us today on Patreon for $1, $3, or $5 at patreon.com slash moonshotnetwork. Visit us on Patreon or at Moonshot Pods on Twitter for more details about the drive. Patreon.com slash moonshotnetwork.